and welcome to episode 55 of the 21 Handshake Marketing Podcast. If you are new to listening, welcome. Our podcast covers social media news and digital marketing trends for anyone who is involved in business. Whether you are in a B2B or a B2C business and whether you're on the marketing or the sales team, we go over tips, trends, and leave you with some actionable items to apply or to think about. So first off, if you're new, I'm Sarah, account manager here at 21 Handshake. I'm Ashley, also account manager. My name is Alex. I'm in charge of visual content. Today, we are also joined by operations director, Bruce. Oh, no. I'm going to totally mess up his name. (laughs) Pobosik. Yeah, there we go. Pobosik from TBX. TBX is a local West Michigan website development agency, but they are more than that. They are a team that sets out with a mission of change, and we'll let Bruce explain a a little bit more about that. But whether TBX is helping you with branding or design, or they're helping you gain some hype in the space of the online world, they definitely know how to get you there. They are the experts. And we're lucky enough to talk with Bruce about user experience and how that applies to when a user comes to your website. But first, it's time for our digital marketing news segment where we dived into what has been taking place the last week in digital and social media marketing. Ashley, last week, the day before the 4th of July, both Instagram and Facebook had a major outage where images couldn't be shown. It was kind of a bit of a craze, I think, probably for marketers who were scrambling to probably to get like 4th of July messages scheduled. Yeah, or ads set before they they themselves went on vacation. But the thing I found interesting about this is how you could see how your personal images were being tagged on Facebook by their AI system. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so just as you were saying, and probably everyone noticed, the day before 4th of July, Facebook and Instagram had an outage that lasted pretty almost all day. Um, which again, like for me personally as a digital marketer affected my entire to-do list that day. Um, (laughs) But again, what was the most fascinating was what replaced the images or videos were, it was a series of texts that would say, um, this image may contain, and then a list of descriptors. Um, Some photos had more than others, um, but it was so fascinating for us to see behind that digital curtain what the AI interprets our photos to be. It was interesting. So I saw a few of these as well, and it was, um, they were pretty broad stroke, like the tags were pretty broad. And so it'd say something like, uh, like people or multiple people or two people or shoes or outside, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. But it was just kind of, it was a interesting look into kind of how they are interpreting what's in your picture. Yeah. And it's unclear exactly how the AI understands that or why some photos had more descriptors than others. I know Mm -hmm. we saw some examples that were super descriptive, um, like this photo may contain and then the person's name or two kids or two smiling kids um, and, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and you know what I find interesting is I wonder, even as Facebook is taking away, you know, targeting options for ads, but I guess my question is, how are they using this AI and how your photos are tagged to, again, work that into their algorithm or into their ad targeting? Because obviously, if I'm 
uploading a picture of my two kids and it's tagging two kids smiling. I just wonder <laughs> if they'll be, you know, oh, okay, well, we can't use this whatever as an option for targeting, but we can target her because her picture publicly set, or we publicly know that she has two kids, so we can put her into the mom category to target. Yeah. <laughs> mm, that's fascinating. And then I wonder if they also might read the description of like the pictures when they get uploaded to Instagram, for example. Like I wonder if they associate any of those tags with like if they also scan the hashtags and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they do to an extent. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's a very interesting and fair point, Sarah. They obviously didn't expand on that at all, but uh, right. <laughs> definitely some good oh, theories there. I'm, yeah, it's still sure. unclear. <laughs> it's still unclear uh, why the outage happened or, you know, how they're utilizing the data. Um, but incredibly interesting and fascinating, especially for us as digital marketers. Yeah, I feel like that, I, I don't know what is going on with Facebook and Instagram because I feel like it never used to crash. And now there's been some pretty significant outages the last few months. Totally agree. And of course, they're not going to tell us why they happen or, or, or <laughs> I don't want to say like not own up to the problem, but like, you know, they obviously fixed it, but uh, I'm sure they won't be giving us any details on why it's happening. Exactly. So interesting nonetheless. And Alex, in the world of YouTube and video marketing, YouTube made some changes. So can you tell us a little bit about those and if they're available to everyone or are they slowly rolling out? So this is this is something that's I think it getting rolled out to everyone pretty quickly here. Um, it's it's a simple change, but a nice little personal change for people, um, essentially allowing users to um, customize their experience a little bit more. So YouTube, basically, you know, at the end of a video, it tells you what um, videos are coming up next or recommending you different channels. Um, and you have a little bit more input into that now. So um, if, there's an, if there's a video that pops up or if a channel that pops up and you are not interested in it, you can like click the little three dots in the corner and say like, um, basically like this doesn't apply to me or I do not want to watch this. Um, and then it'll kind of like update the you know in the in, in its algorithm what videos and things are going to pop up for you um so basically um you can tell it to stop suggesting um certain topics or or channels um and then it'll also uh um, vice versa it'll tell you it, it, you have the option to see why a certain video popped up for you um it'll say you know because you watched this video or because you followed this channel we thought you would be recommended in this um and the um um, uh, what was the guy's name? Let me find it here. So the, the YouTube product manager, Assam El Dardiri, I believe his name uh, is pronounced, said that our goal is to explain why these videos surface on your homepage to help you find videos from new channels you might like. Um, so just giving you a little bit more control over, over your content experience. Okay, so this is a control from the user's standpoint, not from the person who is uploading. You got it. Oh, interesting. Okay, because, okay. yeah, I... Sorry, you know, I, I, I should have clarified that at the beginning. Yeah, this is... no, that's, that's okay, because I was super excited for a second that YouTube had brought back that Up Next video. Like, so currently, and I didn't even realize that this change had happened, but just to kind of speak on it a little bit, if you are uploading a YouTube video and then embedding it on your website, you used to be able to check an option that said, do not show suggested videos afterwards. Mm -hmm. 
And I am not sure when YouTube took that away, but it is now gone. You cannot click on that option. So if you are embedding a YouTube video on your website, you, you don't have control over what's going to be shown next when the video ends. So just super interesting if you are, you know, creating a website and think are even just thinking about embedding your videos. If you did not know that, they did take away that option. Fascinating. Yeah. So I was super excited that maybe they brought that back, but it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> This is, again, just to clarify from the user's standpoint that you can control this now. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and um, just to kind of end our little segment here, I just I found this cool article about website design trends. And Ashley and Alex, you probably have noticed this a little bit just because we are in the process of creating a few websites for clients currently. So there's been a trend to move away from kind of a bold colors and vibrant sites to more of a monochrome site. But of course, there's a twist with that. So the article, which we'll link in the show notes, and we'll link all these articles in the show notes, they said your monochrome can range from a classic design, which will have a solid foundation for foreground elements, and then those elements will give way to the tagline and to the navigation. So if you think about maybe a site that maybe is just all black when you come to it and then has a few words in white and then the menu is in white. So that's kind of that monochrome classic that they're talking about. To then on the flip side of that, there is monochrome that's more playful, which might use an illustration, but then they'll stick with one color and then a variation of different shades with within that same color. So I just thought, super interesting. I feel like the classic monochrome, which I just described, will be very appealing to serious businesses, maybe more B2B um, businesses that wanna be very authoritative in their space, maybe a tech company. Um, yeah, again, just an interesting trend that's going on right now in website design which, um, have you guys noticed that at all? This kind of design trend? I've seen a couple a couple sites that seem to have this kind of design element. Um, the one that I saw, actually, it was entirely black and white. Um, so you know how modern web design has a lot of like bands in it. So like each content block is sort of like its own separate band. It was like an alternating band. And then the color was opposite to what the background was. So there was like a black band with white text. The next one was a white band mm. with black text. Um, and that, but that sounds kind of like the more aggressive version of this monochrome style, where it is just right, pure yeah. black and white. I definitely think it's appealing, and you don't even have to stick with the black and white theme. Right. Um, again, in this article I read, it had some great examples of sites that were just like maybe red with white lettering mm -hmm. or green with lettering or blue so again you know th there is some tie into kind of the emotion that you want to convey with color but then again um it's, it is a very authoritative i think authoritative way to kind of present your website when you're just and you know this is a perfect segue into bruce who we're talking with today at tvx and how um, you know users are using a website and how maybe 
this monochrome design, maybe the content is popping out and maybe how that, you you know, kind of draws the user's attention. So that would be definitely something, um, you know, to, interesting to hear from a user experience standpoint. Welcome, Bruce, to the 21 Handshake Marketing Podcast. First off, give us some background on TBX and yourself. We know you're a new dad to baby number three. Congrats. But in your work world, who is TBX and what do you do? Tell us a little bit more about that and why you guys consider yourself a change agency. Yeah, for sure. So we are a creative agency that specializes in branding and digital marketing. It's taken like eight years for us to nail down that little tagline, but I think we finally got it. Um, but yeah, uh, a change agency kind of came into play when we rebranded from Thinkbox Creative to TBX and we were kind of looking, you know, at ourselves and thinking like, what is it that we actually do? And, uh, at the end of the day, you know, clients come to us asking for some kind of change, whether we're taking the old and making it new, uh, whether there's some new market demands that they want to meet or they just simply also want to rebrand um, and, and change everything, we've realized that that's kind of what we do. We have them come in, we identify pain points alongside them, and then we put together a plan for change that we hope improves their world. Yeah, and we've actually, as 21 Handshake, have worked with Bruce and TBX um, as you know partners on a couple of clients, and I've actually gotten to see that, see that process, and it's very unique and pretty cool to watch. Yeah, we have, a, we have a lot of fun with it. And it's kind of interesting because since we've kind of rebranded and started calling that out, that change out, our clients actually will will join us in that. We always start each project with a discovery session, which is kind of loose and fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of lay that groundwork with them of kind of like their, the only rule is there is no rules. You know, whatever change kind of happens from the process, um, from identifying the goals and stuff that that's okay. Let it, let it be organic. Don't try to get too fixated on, you know, future notions of what this is going to look like or what it's going to be because the process will kind of pull that out naturally. Mm-hmm. What's a, what spurred you guys to make the change yourselves from Thinkbox to TBX? Was it kind of like doing that change thing yourself? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a couple big, hard, like line, uh, events that put that in place. So we had a, a founder, his name was Ben Eggers, who started Thinkbox Creative, who was ready to move on. And so uh, we had bought him out, and then we were kind of looking, and it's like, okay, well, well, that's happening. There's some major change in our leadership. Should we look at rebranding? Should we, you know, are we where we want to be? Are we positioned the way we want to be in the market? And after we looked at it, we're like, we're really, really close to where we want to be. But the level that we're playing at, where we, how we want to be perceived, uh, could use some change. And so we were like, all right, well, let's, let's rebrand. And we rebranded to TBX because those three letters kind of phonetically make Thinkbox. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a nod to the past with Thinkbox Creative, but also making it new and making it ours. Yeah, and modern. You guys kind of like took a bit of your own medicine, it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's easy to forget to do that. And it's really hard to do. We talked about that yeah. a lot on the podcast about how hard it is to actually, you know, as a digital marketing agency, we do it for clients day in and day out, but taking some time to actually do it for ourselves is harder than it sounds. Way harder. And, and uh, you know, we our typical timeline for an average website is four months. I think our new TBX website was like two and a half years in the making. Oh my gosh, just, yeah. you, you know, the, I forget what the adage is, but a craftsman house is like the worst one on the block or whatever. Like <laughs> you just, yeah, it's so hard to be self-critical 
and you get almost uh, paralysis by analysis because mm-hmm. you know you're you're halfway through a, your own build and then you see this really neat thing that or you've done a really neat thing for a client you're like man i really want to integrate that into our site somehow and yeah break all the walls down and start over so talking about updating your guys websites actually a, a good segue in today's topic um whenever we have a client come to us with digital marketing oftentimes it starts with updating their website um, or or building a website because maybe they don't have yeah, one. Right. Um, and so when going through that process, um, oftentimes we'll consider um, the user experience or often known as UX or um, user interface UI. And so we brought you in today to talk about um, everything about user experience. To us, you are the expert. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe let's start with a definition of UX or user experience. What does that mean um, and why is it important? Yeah, it's really those two acronyms or terms are thrown out a lot in our world and they, they are kind of mysterious to a lot of people. Um, you know, we hear a lot of clients use them or, or have a you know, already formed opinion on what they are that sometimes is not correct. Um, And we even, we even argue sometimes internally exactly, you know, (laughs) what we're talking about, but the basics of it is, you know, user experience or UX is a compilation of many different things. So that's like my best analogy that I give when I'm sitting down with a client trying to educate them is like of a house, right? So user experience is, it's the blueprints and it's, it's the layout it's making sure that when you walk in the front door, you're not walking into the bathroom. You know, our creative it director. Has to make sense. Yeah, it has mm-hmm. to make sense. Our creative di- director, Nate Messnick, always makes a funny joke where he's like, Yeah, you can have some really awkward Christmases. If you, <laughs> you can have some really awkward Christmases if, uh, you know, the user experience isn't laid out and the toilet's in the middle of the living room. You know, it's just not. <laughs> yeah. So, user experience is a lot about that. And you achieve that through information architecture, site mapping content strategy is essential, especially today uh, with the content first design and how how essential content is to digital marketing and websites. Um, And then UI or the user interface is what we would call uh, the the visual aesthetic, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's making sure the paint is right. The window style is right. Your window dressings are right. You know, so that's, that's more of like making it pretty stylized. And then there's some gray, like I kind of think of it as like a Venn diagram, right? So you have like UX on one side, UI on the other. There's a little strip in the middle where it overlaps, you know, because like uh, nowadays uh, effects are huge, scroll effects, hover effects, Mm -hmm. um, different transitions, stuff like that, where it plays a little bit in both worlds. It's both the user experience side and it's also part of the visual and the experience of like that creative, that design. And so those two things are pretty much everything we do is Mm -hmm. within that being a, you know, creative agency that specializes in web design. Um, And I would say the most crucial today is that we are now like most web design agencies content first. Yeah. You have to be for good UX. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're not content first, there is no way you can fully achieve a good UX design that is uh, presenting the user with a flow that makes sense for your content otherwise it's back in the like early 2000s webs where it's like we're just going to put everything on there and we're going to let the user click their own path and find their own way and if they stumble across something that we feel is important great but there's no system for ensuring that happens 
you used an, um, an explanation recently that I heard that I, that really resonated with me. You talk about how the more modern, um, web development processes, like you got you trying to, um, control the path of the user a lot more than kind of like old web, Yep. which like you were just saying was kind of more like you try and find your information, mm-hmm. which I thought that was a very useful analogy to me. Yeah. Yeah, we uh we refer to that as the funnel, right? Like mm-hmm. so you're 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 funneling the user through the information and a lot of times like it's not obvious to them that they're being moved, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're being led. Um so it still feels free to them. Um but we make some very intentional templates that that kind of start broader and then as they scroll and interact with it it narrows into more specific information or provides more specific jump off points uh depending on what you know, what demographic or, or where they sit with their persona. Um, and that, that generates a higher click through rate. Um, people are staying on pages longer. You can be very intentional with placement of videos and other content. Um, and it's just a much richer, much more richer experience than in the past where it was just, Mm -hmm. you know, point and click. Yeah. So when you guys talk to potential clients or new clients today, what is, do you feel like there is a uh, misunderstanding to them of what user experience is? Absolutely. And I, and I think it's one, they don't understand how robust it is, right? Like sometimes we'll just say, hey, like make sure the user experience is good. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll do that. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they don't understand that our process in a whole is what does that. You know, we've had clients be frustrated before with wireframes and they just can't really grasp that concept because Mm -hmm. they are, they're bland, they're black Mm -hmm. and white. But to us, the wireframes are crucial to ensuring that the content placement is right and that that user is going to be guided in the way that meets the goals we set. Um, And so we were constantly educating clients like, yeah, okay, I know this stage of the process may be frustrating, may be hard, may be time consuming, but this is essential to, to get to the level of user experience that you want or site usability. Um, and so, yeah, we do that a lot. We're often doing that. And then usually though, when we get to the end, we can look back and with them and show them like, it, yeah, it's one stage of the process on its own, you probably never could have imagined we'd be where we are, but now doesn't it make sense? And it mm-hmm. usually does. It's probably easy for them to like look back and be like, oh, okay, I got it. Now yeah. I see why we did that. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So my question is when a client comes to you and they want a new website and you're walking through the user experience process, what kind of system do you use? Do you use research, data, um, their opinion? How, do, how does that process look to even kind of unpack how a user is going to use a website? Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot, like you rattled off a few there with like research, um, listening to clients. So essentially that first stage, that discovery session that, uh, we have with the client, we use that. We ask a lot of questions and that's kind of like our identifier. What kind of information do you guys have? What kind of research may you already have? Um, have you answered some of these questions about your brand? And and we start slowly identifying, uh, areas to drill down into, and dig more that will give our project managers kind of food for thought and, and, uh, identify some key areas for us And some, you know, there's different levels of projects, right? So some websites, I mean, we've partnered with third party research firms that are phone call interviewing, uh, their, their internal people, their clients, their leadership. And then they hand us basically a, a book of information that we then, you know, sort through and identify goals and all that through. 
And then sometimes it's just merely uh, uh, just uh, what we would call an audit. We audit their current site, um, interview some key members, and really identify, you know, what a good experience would be. And, it, and it's all relative to the, what's the site's main purpose. And so, you know, if it's an e-commerce site, it gets a little easier because you know for sure that the purpose of the website is to sell product. Right. And so the way that we craft that experience is always going to land at some point of purchase, you know, a direct point of purchase. So I have a question that might be getting a little bit in the weeds here, but when you're going through that discovery process, do you ever find that the, the people who are in the room or when you do these like phone audits, like people, everyone kind of has like a slightly different answer. Mm. Yes. And then how do you deal with that? Because yeah. I would imagine that happens more frequently. It's, it, yeah. it's probably more rare for people to all be totally on the same page and say yeah. the same thing. <laughs> well, uh, we do a lot of work with uh, churches and nonprofits. Okay. And it is absolutely so those those projects, you know, everybody has their own domain and they have their own goals related to that domain and they feel very passionately about mm-hmm. it. And so, and then some other companies, you know, it's more of like decision by committee, which mm-hmm. is super frustrating. And so what we try to do is we try to establish a set of goals together early, like first thing. And then that way, difference of opinions can get bounced off the goals and it, and it becomes a lot more less or a lot less personal because we can say, all right, hey, you know, we we all agreed on these goals and what you're currently asking for or where you're tr- currently trying to go doesn't meet a few of them. Gotcha. So we're going to put that aside and we're going to focus on the activities that check all the boxes and try to keep it simple because that is, uh, you've identified, that is one of the biggest, I would say, like crutches of building a website is that you can get pulled in so many different directions. You can get that paralysis by analysis and it can definitely take away from your user experience where your users get frustrated and bounce. Right, right. Um, so speaking of user experience, and we've kind of talked a little bit about educating the client. Um, how do you, I guess, sell user experience to the client? Oftentimes, especially for us at 21 Handshake, having very traditional or B2B style clients who have that website that's from like, the early 2000s where it's purely like just educational um with no real thought behind the user experience how do you get them to understand how valuable it can be yeah so a lot of it you know we do we will look at data right data Mm -hmm. is essential um you know a couple years ago uh the bells the bell curve swung towards mobile devices um and so now more percentage of users are on mobile devices versus desktop. And that's been a huge, huge uh, sell point for us to talk to clients and just say, hey, if you're not mobily ready, if you don't have a mobily responsive website, um, you're missing it. And and not only are your users going to get frustrated, but literally Google's algorithm now um, is smart enough to know and you will you'll drop because Mm -hmm. you're not, you know, you're not mobily responsive. And so for us, we just we use data. And then we also use, uh, you know, everybody wants to throw out the word millennial, right? And everybody's <laughs> concerned about like the next wave of millennials as either uh, purchasers or customers, and then also like prospective employees. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we talk a lot about like, okay, well, what does that mean to you then? Like, how do they interact with websites? How, how are they um, using the internet? And if you don't go meet them where they are, um, you can't be upset that you didn't either attract their attention for employment or mm-hmm. for patronage. So mm-hmm. um, for us, we kind of look at that. And then, you know, even I'll say good content spans all generations. 
Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's in written format, video format, photography, um, good content, you know, everybody enjoys. And so we kind of preach that quite a bit of yeah. like, you, you have to see it once again as that whole picture. And, um, it can be written content, you know, if you want to focus more on a blog style, uh, you know, format to appeal to your base. Um, it can be video, it can be everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can do it all. And so we kind of, we meet the client where they are and say, okay, well, what do you currently have? What are you in to develop future? And then, you know, who's your user base and how are they using the internet? And that usually goes pretty well to open their eyes. I mean, you get people too that will, that will kind of say, well, you know, we do all our business word of mouth. And so our website doesn't really mean much. (laughs) And I'm like, well, that's cool, but that's a completely false statement in today's world. Because yeah. even if you do business by word of mouth, if somebody tells you or tells somebody about your company, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're not going to call you up. first. Yeah, right. no, they're not. <laughs> they're going to hit it. They're going to do what we do and they're going to pull up your phone and they're going to look at your website and they're going to get that, you know, trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll call. We always talk about too with our clients. Um, they say that exact same thing, uh, word of mouth, or we have a sales team to do that. Um, we don't really need a website. We just need it to be there. Um, why not have your website work for you Um, in addition to your sales team or the people who are talking about you? Your website's also a first impression. So it is that first choice or first chance that you get to build that trust. To take that a little bit further as well, if you're not controlling your own message, somebody else is controlling it for you. Absolutely. And websites today are almost, and in some cases are, bigger than a storefront presence. You know, it is Absolutely. your largest brand touch point where you can tell the most uh, concise story of who you are and what your your mission is, right? Mm-hmm. Your value. And yeah, so I, I cringe every time somebody's <laughs> like, oh, well, my website doesn't do much for it. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. They forget to look at the whole of society and the habits that we are now participating in, yep. which is to yep. reach for our phone first. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So it's kind of, you had mentioned, you know, like the church example and how a lot of people come to you and everybody might have a different domain and maybe they're now all trying to combine it. Do you, does your team when thinking about user experience kind of look back at maybe like analytics at all and like Google analytics and think, you know, kind of see how the user flow on the past website went and use that to determine how a new website flow might work or do not take that into consideration at all? Yeah, we, we will in some instances. So we're in a weird like zone right now with new websites where the old ones were just so bad. I mean, they were before mobile responsive design. Um, they were 920, which is like, that's old style web. So like now if you, if you go to somebody's site and they have like the big, uh, valleys on the side of it where there's like no design out there. Like that's oh, a 920 yeah. grid website, super older. And there, and there's just like, there's just not a lot of value to take from mm-hmm. looking at those old analytics. And, you know, our creative director will also often, you know, say to the client, cause they'll want us to do all this like past research. And that's, that's another play into why we're the change agency is cause like, that's great. Like the past is important. We learn from the past and we understand it, but what's more important is where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. who do you want to be? What does that new website look like? And what are the new goals? Because, um, you know, we've looked at analytics in the past and the only reason, you know, the, the traffic flow was the way it was is because the, the website was poorly designed. And so we identify that and that's valuable. Right. Um, but 
other than than that, it's just yeah that that lets us know that you need change, but you're already in our door, so you you must understand that. Yeah. Um. Now every now and then, like we get uh clients that are a little bit more on the ball, and they they update their web presence like every two years or so. Um. And that is valuable, right? Because that's you know one of our uh larger longstanding clients. I mean, we we work with them year round, and those Google Analytics are essential. You know, we, we put up a new content page and we want to make sure that the buttons get in the clicks. Um, we use a lot of heat mapping. Mm. We like that a lot. That shows us, you know, that our UX UI is is effective. Um, and, it, and it tells you a lot because you can you can think, you know, it makes sense to you. Like you put that button in the right spot or you led the user well to a certain content piece. And then you look at those analytics and you're like, well, they're not finding it. So we might have to switch it up. We might have to try something new. And, and it's funny because sometimes it is the structure and sometimes it's just the content. They're not as interested in as you thought they would be. And no matter where you put it, it's just not going to get that click rate you want. And so that's where you kind of jump ship and try some different content. So to that point, when we're talking about today's like good web design, um, are there, are there any like rules of thumb to that or certain like content types that you see working well? Um, cause we were actually, we were in a meeting with you recently with a, with a current client and they were saying, we were talking about, um, the home site and we want, we were talking about maybe like putting a, a brand story type video or some sort of visual, like above the fold. Yeah. Um, and like they said, I, I don't think that anyone would really like watch that video. And you said our data actually tells us something completely different. Yeah. I think you felt me like suck the air out of the room with my gasp when you said that because yeah. video is, I mean, unquestionably the king of content today. I mean, people, you put a play button on a static photo, they'll sit there for five minutes clicking it, wondering why it's not playing. Like that's how addictive those play buttons are. And so <laughs> video is essential. And, um, and I definitely think I mean, if you just look at the reach you have with video from, you know, uh, YouTube channels to putting it on your website, dropping it in your social media accounts. I mean, from one investment, you can get so many, so you can put on so many different mediums and get so much ROI on it. Um, so, and it's great. And then every piece of data we look at a page that has a video on it gets, gets longer views. And it's not just the time of the video, right? So like if it's a, a 30 or 90 second video, their page views, you know, spanning three minutes long. So it's not just the time they're sitting there watching the video. It's their, their interest is peaked and they're diving into the rest of the content. I'd have to imagine there's a very strong correlation between time on page and pages that have video. Yes. Yep. It's, it's, I mean, the, the data is definitely clear Mm -hmm. on that. Are there any other things that come to mind when you guys think of like good web design today? Like obviously mobile friendly, um, some video content. Are there any other like characteristics that you feel like define a good, like you also said in that meeting, um, no, don't stuff 50 pounds into a five pound sack. Yep. That kind of stuff. Simplicity. Yeah. And that's, that's the spirit of what that statement came out of. It's, it's, uh, attention spans are lower and people just, they just want to know, right. They, they're like, Hey, get me where I want to be. You know, I don't need the fluff. I don't need all the extra. And so it is, and it's harder uh, you'll hear a lot of content writers say that like, it's harder to write less. It's harder to mm-hmm. be simple Agreed. than it is to just like put everything out there. So it takes a lot of strategic planning um, to identify that and to narrow in on that. And then I would say in the realm of that simplicity, so like we, and we talked about content is key. One big trend we're seeing now is these really robust resource, uh, what we would call hubs, resource hubs. And so for lack of, you know, better words, a blog is how a lot of people refer to it. 
Um, cause that, that word transcends more than just a blog now. It's like mm-hmm. where all the things go, <laughs> <laughs> but so we, we just tried to switch that to like understanding it as a resource center with our clients so they can get out of that mindset of, Oh, this is just blog post. Um, so what this resource center does is you can put all your video content there, your white papers, your case studies, your blog posts, your news, your events with a filtering system that helps users quickly narrow in on whatever they're looking for. And then that, that hub gives you the ability to push that content out to other pages around the site. Um, so a certain video about your product could be on the homepage. It could be on that product detail page and it's in that resource center. And so it all kind of links together and gives the users multiple opportunities to interact with that content. And there's some huge, huge stuff. Um, we had the, the privilege of working on a, a demand gen website uh, with a client out of Chicago, which was a partnership with uh, two really good friends of, of mine, um, one on the research side and, and one that does that demand gen marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, it was just so interesting to see how robust those plans can be in, in the what they can generate in interest mm-hmm. in ROI. Wow. That's intense. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, this is all just so super interesting. And yeah, so tell me a little bit more about this resource hub. I've never heard it called that before. So is it basically taking that maybe longer form content that you may have put on other pages and kind of lumping it all in in that area just to kind of satisfy still maybe Google who is still kind of looking to you know, at that content to kind of rank your website and then also kind of satisfying any user questions that may come to the site. Or- yeah. Yep. You nailed it. So it, it, it crosses, it checks both those boxes. So Google loves it. You can get, you know, everything a blog did for a website, it does for a website as far as like the mechanics go. And then, um, the second one you mentioned is exactly right too. It's for the gearheads, right? The people who, you know, necessarily don't want simplicity. They want the information and they want to dig and they want to go deeper into it. And so it just allows for kind of all user types to, to get information and then being able to push it out into the website um, from that portal is super uh, helpful because then you don't have to have like multiple, you know, you don't have to upload it a bunch of times. It just pushes out and all that kind of stuff. And so it's a, you, you'll see it more and more. I mean, we're definitely not the only ones doing it or anything like that. We just, uh, you know, have really found success with our clients um, in using it also to push them to generate more content, right? Because if yeah. you build this massive resource hub and you land on it and you have a blog post and a video, it's like, okay, why why did we build this big machine? So let's <laughs> let's start populating it. Let's get consistent and, and give all these mediums. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. It's, I think uh, we've ran into that a lot that people forget that your website, once you launch it, it's not a, just a static entity. It needs to be constantly kind of tweaked and updated and new information. Yep. <laughs> That's a hard concept for to get them to understand a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. And you guys probably work, or I know you guys work with similar businesses as us where, you know, sometimes you're talking directly to owner operator, right? And the last thing, you know, they want to do is a video project or (laughs) something. And so that's something I know you guys do very well is say, Hey, well, we can take that effort off your guys' hands and and generate that for you. Cause if anybody ever box that content, you know, take it from me, um, 
you cannot build an effective website without it. Yeah. You can't, I mean, we can put the best laid plans forward, but if the pictures aren't good, if there's not video content, if the copy hasn't been thought out and simplified, it's just going to fall flat no matter how hard we try. So. Right. Yeah, definitely. So to wrap things up, you've definitely heard content plays a huge part of user experience and Definitely, I know that's something that we encourage our clients to think about. And Bruce, you just kind of hit the nail on the head that that is just a predominant thing moving forward in, in today's day and age when it comes to users' experience on your website. So give us the details, Bruce, on where people can find you if they have more questions about user experience. Yeah. So our website is wertbx.com. Um, you can peruse that around and then me directly real easy, Bruce at wertbx.com. And then I'm also on, you know, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, but a lot less today in, <laughs> <laughs> in, uh, Instagram. Um, I can't, I'm going to date myself, but I can't handle Snapchat. So I don't even try, <laughs> but so you don't want anyone I, to reach out to you via Snapchat. Yeah. No, <laughs> don't makes. snap. Yeah. Don't, that's what they say, right? Don't snap me. Yeah. Don't yeah. snap me. Yeah. yeah cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and we will definitely link all that information in our show notes and yeah thanks for taking the time today bruce to join us yeah thank you guys so much for having me it was a lot of fun and i really appreciate working with you guys and yeah. this is just <laughs> definitely a bonus so thank you for having me on we want to know have you walked through your website in the eyes of a user connect with us at 21 handshake on social media and let us know We'd also love to answer any other questions you have about user experience. Did you like this episode? Hint, of course you did. Then please like, subscribe, and leave a review and share it with a friend. It really does help get the word out about our show. Until next time.